Good evening. I saw Eric was wearing a suit and tie. I tried to pawn my servant off on him, but he wouldn't take the bait. So you're stuck with me. Um, you see on the screen there, it says a beautiful allegory. I'll be in Genesis uh, this evening. Um, and this is um, something I've been trying to keep uh, in check with is, is staying in Genesis recently. My last, definitely my last sermon. I don't know about the one before that. Because um, I'm with my working towards my degree, um, I'm focusing on Genesis um, for the first part of that. And I was kind of, uh, I was thinking about how I could stay on track with, with my, my summit work, but also be able to, uh, to preach you know, whenever that time comes. So I thought if I stick it with, with the book of Genesis, where I'm actually studying with summit, it'll kind of help solidify some of these uh, things in my mind. Um, so for probably a, a good while here, I'll, I'll be sticking with Genesis, um, because there's just so much in this book and it's such an important book to, to make sure we understand because, uh, you know, Jesus re- referenced the book of Genesis um, and, and uh, the creation account even down to that. Um, and if, if the, uh, the liberals can get a hold of this book and if they can, uh, you know, water it down to the point where, you know, everything in it is mystified, then we're going to lose uh, some important parts of God's word and it kind of, everything falls apart. This is a book of beginnings. And if, uh, if we don't stay solid on this book, um, just as any book, we could lose a lot of ground um, in this world. So we have to make sure that we rightly divide the word of truth and, and we, we take what it says and, and not try to put our own words in it. Um, God's word is not to be confusing. Um, it's for our understanding. So let's keep it simple, just like God wants it to be. So... Um, as you see, it says a beautiful allegory. So to define allegory, uh, that is a story that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. So this isn't the case in every situation, uh, but in this situation it certainly is. Um, you may, everybody in here I'm sure has read the account here of Abraham being called out of Ur of Chaldee to Canaan um, and some of the things that went on in that story. But this story does not just that situation. There's a greater um, thing going on here that you wouldn't catch if you were to just read this account um, at face value, but you have to read all scripture, read into the New Testament, um, because the New Testament is what shines light on the Old Testament. And uh, the, uh, the Old Testament casts a shadow on the things that are coming, and the New Testament gives us the real thing, right? Um, it shows the details, it gives the complete picture um, the various accounts that we read about and what humans didn't fully understand at the time. You know, Abraham didn't realize what all God was doing, um, but by faith he obeyed. There's a lot to learn from that. Um, in Romans 15, 4, it says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So there's a greater story um, going on here. I'm going to start off by just reading the first nine verses of chapter 12, and then as we go through... Um, yeah, I'll read more um, and try not to lose you. So it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, this is before he was Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in, all, and in you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. 
And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Okay, so point one here, we see God chooses Abraham or Abram. So why did God choose him? Was Abram some distinguished, special, um, you know, high up individual in society? No, he was just a simple everyday guy just like you and I. In fact, his father Terah was an idolater. And um, we don't know, but we can't really rule out the possibility that at some point in Abraham's, Abraham's life, maybe he was an idolater too. We don't know that. Um, but with his dad being one, it's possible. Um, but there was something in Abram that, that, God, that God saw, but in, in general, he was just a normal, everyday guy. So God chose Abram purely, purely by grace. Uh, he gave him an opportunity that he didn't deserve. And I think we could all say that that sounds awfully familiar to how God has um, chosen us as well. And also, that's another thing to keep in mind here, is that the Lord said to Abram at the beginning. He didn't say to anybody else, but Abram. And that's important to catch. So he was called to be separated. He was called to move away from his father's house. He buried the old man and his kindred. He was a barren old sinner. He was told to get out and you will receive a blessing. And he called him from Ur, that is fire. Chalde is destruction. So he went out from fire and destruction in faith. He became a pilgrim. In the land, he had no clue where God was, uh, where, where God was taking him, but he had faith in God. So let's connect the dots here. So God, by grace, calls this useless, old, fruitless sinner. He calls him out of fire and destruction to come to Canaan. Canaan means that is uh, the place where we bow to knee to God. To the place of Shechem, verse 6, that's strength. As far as the terebinth tree of Morah, that's instruction. And finally, he moved from there near Bethel, And Bethel means the house of God. So what's true of Abraham is true of you and I. We're useless, barren sinners. And God, in his grace, separates us from fire and destruction to future glory, um, to blessings, to an inheritance. But it requires you and I's act of faith with Abraham's attitude to confess that we are just pilgrims and strangers in the earth. And we don't know what our journey as Christians is going to be. We don't know what that looks like. Um, but uh, we know that if we are faithful to God, He will give us His promise of a city whose builder and maker is God. So there's a reward for those who diligently seek God. And a side note here that's worth mentioning is that Abraham did leave the country that God told him to leave, um, but he didn't fully leave his father's house. Um, I tried to emphasize that. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, he, was, he was told to leave his father's house and his kindred, but he took both them with him. Uh, and he took Terah, which is his father, and his Terah's name means delay. 
And he took him along with him. And instead of getting to the land of Canaan um, straightway, he dwelt six years in Haran. And Haran means parched. Um, and George Fall would call it uh, Fruitlessville. He dwelt six years in Fruitlessville. And that just goes to show there's a lesson for us to learn. It is unless we completely submit ourselves to God um, and uh, leave our former life and completely leave all those things that keep us from fully obeying God, we'll never be fruitful. Um, we, and we'll continuously face problems as we can consider, uh, continue to be conflicted uh, between the world and God. Um, and this is worth noting, if you have a notebook, I'd write this down. Your problems today are from your incomplete obedience to God yesterday. Your problems today are often from your incomplete obedience to God yesterday. And I think we could all um, definitely agree with that. All right, so point two, I'm going to read from verse 10 down through verse 20. Um, I have this titled, Abraham's Mistake, Our Learning. Um, we're going to probably read this twice um, because I have some more later. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram uh, went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was uh, close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a beautiful woman of uh, beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you uh, that they will say that uh, this is his wife and they will kill me and let you live. Please say that you are my sister and it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, uh, oxen, male donkeys, uh, female, uh, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Uh, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I may have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh command, commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, so Abram makes a mistake here. He finally makes it to the house of God. That's Bethel in Canaan. Then there's a severe famine in the land. So where does Abram go? To Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. And that's significant because in Scripture, Egypt is representative of the world. Um, and Ab so Abram trusted God for his salvation. He, he trusted God to get him to Canaan. That was his, that, you know, that was his promise to be to, to brought into uh, this land of promise. But he didn't trust God for his daily bread. He turned to Egypt, the world, for his food and protection during the famine. And this is a huge mistake, which is a mistake that we all are guilty of making. Um, Isaiah chapter 30 shines light on this fact, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, Woe to the rebellious uh, children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt, and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Keep that in mind. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them, or be help or a benefit, but a shameful and also a reproach. 
So Abram left the house of God, went back to the world, and the first thing he does is he denies Sarah, his wife, giving her to Pharaoh of Egypt, which is the world. So as soon as he leaves the house of God, he's quickly tempted. Uh, that's worth noting. He was separated from God, and, uh, and he fell to temptation. Um, so what's significant about Sarah? Sarah also uh, signifies something that's really important to catch. Remember, there was Sarah and Hagar. Hagar was a bondwoman. Sarah was the woman of promise who was going to bring out the promised seed. Okay, so Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. Um, if I've lost you, come on back, because this is really important. It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you, do you not fear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For this desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac. Even so it is now, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Okay, once again, we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Here we have the inspired Apostle Paul, and he explains the significance of Sarah, his wife, and Hagar's bondwoman. But he shows that the life of Abram, Sarah, and Hagar are an allegory, uh, which teaches us something important. So when Abram goes down to Egypt, he tries to deny Sarah. Sarah is the new covenant. Uh, and we, and he's, we are married to the new covenant. So he tries to, tries to deny Sarah as his wife to avoid being killed because of her. And he thinks Egypt's Pharaoh, the world, can possess her just the same. Uh, he can share. They can basically, basically share this wife. Um, he treated her as a wife of convenience. Um, and he thought that this would benefit him in the moment, but this ended up causing him uh, great problems and humiliation. Uh, so this is important for us because the new covenant is what we are married to, and it is not a wife of convenience. We're married to her, and we cannot leave her just because at this moment it is convenient for us. And this is in part, I think, a big reason that the world kind of laughs at Christianity um, these days, because Christians are either cowards who are too scared to talk about the gospel that saves, or they see us as fake Christians. Um, they see the hypocrisy. We're so high and holy, and we're always at church on Sunday, but the um, rest of the time we return back to our vomit in the world, and we look no different than anybody else that we're around. And there's nobody who's going to take that very seriously uh, whenever we're preaching to them about being a, a righteous you know, human being, um, living for God, when we're not doing it ourselves. So Abram finally bows the knee to God, but as soon as one problem comes up, he returns the world to the world, and he forgets all about God. Um, and while he was in Egypt, we don't have any record of him worshiping God. Um, so uh, when he was in Egypt, he, he deceived Pharaoh with a lie. He prayed no prayers, and he built no altars to God. 
Uh, so when we stoop in our sins and uh, we separate ourselves from God, we're not going to worship him like we should. Uh, we need to stay close to Bethel. That's the house of God. I'm going to once again read verse 14 through 20. This is where Abraham uh, learns an important lesson. So verse 14 through 20. So it was when Abraham came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the, the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Um, I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that they had. So Pharaoh treats Abram well for Sarah's sake by giving him all kinds of animals and wealth. So obviously we see God sends a plague on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gets the idea. Um, Somehow, I don't know how this tells him um, that Sarah is in fact his wife. Um, So now, uh, this is important in verse 18 and 19. Notice that Pharaoh is rebuking the father of the faithful, Abram, for lying. So imagine the sting that Abram must have felt in this moment being rebuked by this pagan king. Um, This pagan king is in this situation showing him that he's being immoral. And even this king is surprised by Abram's lack of, um, uh, I guess, being a moral man. And when you think about it, there's nothing more humiliating for a Christian than being um, rebuked uh, by a non-Christian for wrongdoing. It hurts our witness, and it, and it brings us shame like nothing else can. And this happened to me once uh, that I can remember. I'm sure I've done it more than once, but um, in probably high school, I guess, um, we were sitting around the lunch table, and you know everybody knew I was a Christian, but I was carrying on with everybody else and saying things that they wouldn't even say. And I remember the one kid... Um, Quentin, Quentin Wolfgang, actually. Hannah or Lindsay probably remembers who that was. He was kind of laughing. He goes, you're a terrible Christian. And I was like, oh. You know, it hit me. You know, it was like a, a dagger um, to my heart because I knew I was being like that. You know what I mean? And I was, I was saying things I should not be saying. But that is just one of those things that, that really made me think about my witness and what I'm doing. And when somebody looked at me knowing I was a Christian and seeing the things I was saying, was able to, you know, I was, I was being that kind of person that it was worth them telling me that I was being a terrible Christian. So, you know, and I've fallen many times since then, and I've still been a terrible Christian. But that always sticks with me, and it reminds me um, that people are watching what we're, what we're saying, what we're doing. Okay, point four, Pharaoh's response to Sarah and the world's response to the new covenant. Remember, Sarah is the new covenant. When Pharaoh found out that Sarah was Abraham's wife, he didn't want to be intimate with her. When the world finds out that the new covenant and what it all entails is of God and it requires life-changing measures, they reject it. The world doesn't want to be intimate with the church. Pharaoh gave great wealth to Abraham and then in verse 20 sent him and Sarah away with it. This world is, they don't, that's the word I'm looking for. They, they don't struggle to give money to Christianity. You can go to any business, any person, you know, knock on their door. We're doing this and this at our church. You know, could you give some money to it? People would give their money in a second. 
You know, uh, you know, then they'd even tell you, you know, this is this is great work you're doing. Yeah, I think more people should be doing this. Then you invite them and they deny it. You know, it's rules for thee, not for me. They, yeah, you, you guys keep on doing this. This is good. I don't want anything to do with it. Here's my money. Go ahead and go. So when the world finds out what, what true Christianity is, a lot of times they, they shrink back. They don't want to be intimate with it. They don't want it to be something that controls their life. But they're willing to support it um, in many ways. And you can see there that Pharaoh, as soon as he found out the woman of promise, um, the, the new covenant, Sarah, he rejected her and sent them, her away with great wealth. So here you go. Here's all your stuff. Go ahead and you know, just leave me alone. Just do your thing. Um, so people want the benefits of Christianity, but they don't want a relationship with Christ oftentimes. That's not always, but in a, in a broad spectrum, I think that's the case. Point five, I have Satan's attempt and God's victory. This is super important to catch. Um, this, if, for those of you who are familiar with George Falls' um, eternal struggle with uh, Satan and God uh, fighting each other, um, or Satan, Satan trying to, to get ahead of God, this will make a lot of sense to you. Anytime we see sin involved in Scripture, we know that Satan is nearby fighting God's will. So I think it's important for us to ask, what's Satan up to here? You know, how can we figure out what exactly Satan's plan is? So from the beginning, we know in Genesis chapter 3, when men fell, or man fell in a garden, God gave his prophecy of striking down Satan with the seed of woman. Uh, so since then, the devil's been trying to outmaneuver God, kind of like a chess game, um, or for uh, simpletons like myself, checkers, trying to get ahead of God, um, and he's trying to get his promised seed that's supposed to crush Satan's head killed off or corrupted in some way. So Satan sees an opportunity here. Uh, he sees this godly descendant of Shem, uh, the line of the promised seed just would come, uh, that the promised seed would come through. He knows it's coming through Shem from chapter 11 and, and other places in Scripture after Babel. Um, so he's narrowed it down to the proper line. It's the line of Shem. Uh, and he sees that this, this godly descendant of Shem has made it to the land of Canaan, just like God had promised um, in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, he promised to Noah. Um, chapter 9, verses um, 25 to 27 says, Curse be, or no, said, yeah, then he said, Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. May he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So this was after the curse on Ham, the father of Canaan, after seeing his father's nakedness. This was Noah got drunk, and um, you know, God came and, and took care of business there. And so you can imagine at this point, Satan has to be frantic seeing God's will coming to fruition. Oh no, yeah, another, another you know, notch. God is uh, working towards his will being fulfilled. So Satan's trying really hard to reverse this. Um, so he knows what line he's coming through. And he's, he's going to try to do what he can to get Abraham away from Canaan. So, naturally, why would he not try to send him down to Egypt, the great power of the world at that point? So, insert famine. Now, I can't say that Satan caused the famine. I don't know if that's true, but he definitely took opportunity in this famine um, to get Abraham away um, from God's promised land. And this is a, a super uh, smart move in Satan's case, and here's why. The Egyptians, as you read in, in, in the Genesis passage I just read, they were not the Canaanites of Ham. Um, they were more powerful and they were not destined to serve Shem's descendants like the Canaanites were that God said in Genesis. So maybe, just maybe, the Pharaoh uh, could see the beauty of Sarah 
And due to wanting, you know, coveting her, he would kill Abram and uh, maybe crush the, uh, uh, the, the opportunity for the seed to come there, you know, um, so that the seed couldn't be born of Abraham. So if we kill off Abraham, yeah, that's, you know, that's, a big, that's a big win for Satan. Or maybe Pharaoh would kill Abram out of anger for lying to him. Um, or maybe, which I think it might be more of the case, uh, Satan could get Pharaoh to lay with Sarah and corrupt the seed with Hamitic seed. Um, so that that and and from as far as you know, this this standpoint of Satan trying to um, mess up the messianic line, I think one of these three is probably his purpose: trying to get Abraham killed or trying to corrupt the seed with Hamitic seed from Pharaoh, uh, laying with Sarah. But too bad for Satan, as we know, God plagued Pharaoh um, in his house, likely during Sarah's purification process, and you know, reversed Satan's uh, opportunity there. Um, so, you know, another win, another win for God, another fail for Satan. We can praise God for that. Um, so he's sending her back, never touched her in fear of Abraham, and they sent him away with everything he had given um, Abraham for Sarah. Um, so it's really important there to see what Satan was up to. Um, everything in Scripture after the, basically after the fall of man and the promise to crush Satan's head, Everything in Scripture after that is geared towards its fulfillment. And everything Satan's doing is trying to reverse that fulfillment to try to make that not be the case because Satan does not want crushed, as we know. So in conclusion, this, is, this wasn't too long tonight, there's some things to keep in mind. I want you to go home and uh, you know, take home with you. Number one, uh, we're never above the possibility of falling to Satan's temptation. Number two, when the world seems to be falling in around us, remember that God's in control, um, and the temptation to forsake Him is from the devil. Satan wants you to forsake God. Um, yeah, he would love to see you fall. Uh, point three, if you trust in God for your salvation, we can certainly trust Him for our daily bread. God's more than capable of providing um, our daily bread for us. God doesn't use special people with great abilities. You know, a lot of us, myself included, think that you know we just... I, I'm just God does wouldn't can't use me you know I'm just yeah I don't I don't have any gifts or whatever you know we all doubt ourselves in some way um, he always uses normal people uh, who are just willing to make themselves available to him um, to be used to carry out his will so if you're a normal person God can use you if you're a special person God can use you any way you are God can use you in some way um, point number five we are all barren sinners who are useless without God, and we're completely relying on Him to impute His righteousness to us. But, um, you know, in knowing that we can't earn it, but we must accept it through obedient faith, just like Abraham did. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He accepted that he was a pilgrim in the land, and he did what God wanted him to do, regardless of what that meant for him. Um, but he had to go and do God's will in order to, for God to impute His righteousness to Abraham. And when we separate ourselves from God, God's house, we open the door for our sins, um, for sin to come in. And more often than not, one sin leads to another. It's kind of a domino effect. Each, each time we, we give in to temptation, we're weaker for the next one. So it might just be a puny sin, but that leads to terrible things. Um, so as the men come forward, I'd like to uh, just give you an invitation here and ask you some questions. Uh, are you living by faith? In God? Have you responded in obedience to Him? 
If so, are you treating the Lord's church as a wife of convenience? Remember that you've been bought with a price. You've, been made, you've made a commitment to God through Christ to live for him. So don't go backwards to Egypt. Christ already saved you from that spot. If you have not responded to God's call to get out of fiery destruction, that's the place you are if you're not in Christ, fiery destruction, then why are you waiting any longer to come out of fiery destruction? Time isn't stopping. Even if you have to leave loved ones and friends uh, to, that are keeping you from entering into a saving relationship with Jesus, just like Abraham had you know, a father and kindred who, who were pulling him back and delaying God's promise, um, your internal soul depends upon you forsaking those people if you need to do that, um, to get right with God. And do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That's who he claimed he was. Are you willing to confess that before men unashamedly every day throughout your life? Matthew 10, 32. Are you willing to repent? It means to change your life. Um, to, you know, it's a mental uh, change. It leads to change life. You know, if you change your mind in your, you know, that you're going to live for God, you're going to see it in your actions. That's what, that's what repentance is. If you don't repent, you'll perish. Luke 13, 3 says that. And if you submit, and will you submit to letting your old self be buried in the watery grave of baptism so that God can wash away your sin? That's um, Acts twenty two sixteen. God, or, um, uh, was it, uh, Philip asked the, uh, the, um, help me out, Kelly. I'm going to bring it, Acts 22, 16, yeah. Paul, Paul, yeah. yeah, Paul, rise, be baptized. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Sense. So I couldn't remember the characters. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, so if you're willing to be baptized in, into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and whenever you were baptized, you reenact the very act that saved you on the cross. Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he resurrected. And you participate in that gospel act to, save, to be saved um, from your sins. So when you die yourself and you're raised to walk in the newness of life. And will you commit to living the life of somebody who has had an unpayable debt paid for them the rest of your life? The debt that Jesus paid at the cross is an unpayable debt. And if somebody paid an unpayable debt for you, you would honor that person the rest of your life. And that's what we're called to do. So today's the day to make it happen.